0: Well, listen, friends, we are getting started in our or continuing in this series that we're calling uh, questions, seven big questions from God's heart to yours. We're going to read a longer passage, so I'd like to make a Bible available to you uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, a couple of guys will be there to, to uh, make that available. Just give them a wave and they'll hand you one. If you don't mind just returning those to the front at the end of the service, well, that helps us out for the 11 o'clock group. And today our question is: Why do you laugh? Why do you laugh? We've we've uh, we've asked a couple of questions already. Why are you angry? Uh, was that was the first one? Today we're asking: Why do you laugh? There's different kinds of laughter, isn't there? There's there's good, you know, belly laughter, joyful, you know, good humor laughter. I, I enjoy listening to comedians that 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 just make me laugh and help me see the world in a different way. There's there's uh, you know, there's nervous laughter when you're not sure what's happening and you kind of have that <laughs> awkward, nervous laughter. There's there's this sort of um, sarcasm uh, uh, laughter. You know, I, I was recalling a, a scenario where I, this was uh, probably ninth grade mathematics of the Mennonite Educational Institute, the private high school where I grew up and uh our teacher, I don't remember his, his name right now, I know his first name was Brian, because it's the same name as me, So, but Mr. Whatever, was uh, was a little frustrated with our boisterous class. I think, uh, you know, um, we were just all bright, intelligent students, so we had a lot to talk about. I think that's what it was. And um, he, uh, we'll call him Mr. Smith, that wasn't his name, but he was just getting really frustrated with everybody in that classroom. And uh, you know, I'm a—I was a pretty good kid. I gotta confess that too. And uh, he said, "That's it. There's no more messing around, and nobody laughs." And I went, "Ha ha ha!" From the back of the class. Guess where I spent the rest of that class? Over in the principal's office. And um, so that's not a good kind of laughter. There's there's other kind of laughter. There's there's um. Well, here's the thing. You want to be laughed with, not laughed at, right? Ever been laughed at? That does not feel good. That does not feel good. But you tell a joke and people laugh with you, it's great. Now, the worst kind of laughter is that sort of mocking or scoffing laughter. It, it, it sort of makes fun of people. It, it's hurtful. Maybe it comes from a, a hard heart or a, a cynical heart. Or, or that kind of laughter may come from a wounded heart. A place of hurt and disappointment, especially especially if you're carrying unkept promises. Something you felt was going to happen that was promised to you and it hasn't come through and hasn't come through. I wonder if you ever dealt with somebody who promised something over and over and over. I'll have it for you tomorrow. I'll have it for you by Friday. I'll get right back to you with that. And they promised and promised and promised and it never came through. And, and the next time they said, oh, I'll, get, I'll get that to you by tomorrow. And you kind of laughed and said, yeah, right. You're not laughing in that moment because it's funny. You're laughing because you don't trust that person. You have no faith in them. They've given you no reason to have faith in them. Well, today's question, why do you laugh, comes out of an episode that felt like an unkept promise from God to this couple, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, an older couple, had not been able to have children, and had been promised that they would have a child and that through that child they would have a myriad of descendants like the sand of the seashore, the stars in the sky. But they were getting up in years and growing older and older and now they're in their 90s. It still hasn't come through. And what's going to happen? Well, if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to find Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 as we, as we get into this one. Um, last week we talked about the birth of somebody named Ishmael uh, by Hagar. Hagar was a servant in the household of Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham and his, and his urgen- Abraham and Sarah both, in their urgency to fulfill this promise of God, had um, gotten Abraham to also take Hagar as a wife, and she'd have this baby, and it created all kinds of problems for them. But now we're going to get back to this. Re- promise being renewed in Genesis chapter 18. I would like you to stand with me for the reading of God's word as you are able. I read from the New Living Translation. It begins like this. Genesis chapter 18, verse one. It says the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. It would appear that what Abraham recognizes that one of them is kind of the leader of those three and tends to address that one. But there's three of them there. Verse uh, And then he says, "All right, do as you have said." So verse six goes on, it says, "So Abram ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, Knead it into dough, bake some bread." And then Abram ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abram took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. Now this is a really nice meal. Fresh veal, freshly baked bread. Fresh yogurt. This is good stuff. Not quite as good as the cinnamon rolls you're going to have today, but really good. All right. And as they ate, Abram waited on them in the shade of the trees. Verse nine. Where is Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked, she's inside the tent. Abram replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year. And your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Well, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. And verse 16 says, then the men got out from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. And as they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I don't want you to get too caught up in who these three men are uh, these three messengers, they're, they might be angels. It could, it's possible that it's the pre-incarnate, this is my personal conviction, that's the pre-incarnate Christ with, uh, messengers along with him. That pre-incarnate means Jesus appearing in the flesh before he's been sent to us in the flesh. But that's, that's more of a conviction than a, than clear in the text. Um, some might want to say, well, it's a representation of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's not really suggested in the text, but, I don't want you to get it too hung up on who these people are. The point is that they are messengers from the Lord. And the passage, the story, the, the, the account demonstrates this generous Middle Eastern hospitality, right? Abraham bows to the ground as he welcomes them in respect. He 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 brings them to the shady place to rest. So, hey, relax a little here, you guys. Let me get some water. We're going to get your feet washed. We're going to make a really nice meal uh, for you um, that's, that's how they do it. I mean, that's the right way that things are done. But I want you to notice Abraham's attitude toward these messengers is that he's, he's preparing himself to hear them speak. He's, he's taking care of their needs so that they can speak and he can hear what they have to say. That's a really important step in this process because it's, you know, it's a good habit To offer good hospitality and attention. Good at paying attention to God's messengers. And whoever they may be. But Abraham's actually preparing himself for what God's going to say. Abraham had received the promise of the child a couple times already. It had come to him. And uh, so this wasn't a new uh, idea. And Abraham, incidentally, had also laughed. If you go back in the previous chapter, chapter 17... Abraham got the message and he said, oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. But he had apparently come around. And this visit now seems to be for Sarah's benefit and for confirmation for them both so that, so that no one can say, Abraham, I think you're imagining things. Because it, throughout the Bible, we're, we're taught that a, a, a testimony is confirmed by two or three witnesses. So by the third appearance, this is the third witness, this is the third confirmation. So, you know, it's a solid promise from God that this is going to happen. Abraham was was a wealthy, wealthy person by this point. We've been told that earlier in the passages, but he was not too proud to take care of these strangers. Isn't that interesting? He is. He's got plenty of money. He could have just said, I don't even know who you guys are, but he takes care of them. He humbles himself and and. Service is humility in action. Service is humility in action. So as a result, you know, because of his humble serving, Abraham is prepared to hear what they have to say. If you're taking notes this morning or you're following in your insert in the program, you could write this down. Humility, humility helps your hearing. Humility helps your hearing. Yeah, proud people don't take instruction very well, do they? Proud people are are really hard to give instructions to, Um, but humility means that you can hear what the messengers in your life have to tell you. If you're a person who always says, I know, I know, I know, you don't have to tell me, I know, I know, I know, you're not a, you're not a humble person, right? Imagine that. Imagine it this way. Let's say you decide to, to join the sod squad here at our church. Uh, these are the guys and gals who make our grounds look beautiful every week. Usually it's Saturday. This coming week, it's Friday because of the Pacific District Convention coming up. So keep that in mind, right? And, and imagine that you show up, and um, this is not going to happen the first time you get there, but let's say eventually they say, hey, we're going to train you to use the, the riding lawnmower to mow the field. And you're like, oh, that's great. Now let me show you how this machine works. No, no, I know, I know, I don't need some old guy teaching me how to use a lawnmower. I got this, I got this. And next thing you know, you've crashed into something. You've run somebody over and, and the trees are all mowed down because you refuse to listen to some instruction. Right? Humility means I will listen to what I'm being told. Even if it's not new information. This is not the first time Abraham said this, but he's humble enough to hear it again. He goes, oh, look, guys, can you tell me something different, new for a change? No, nope. he's going to listen. Humility Helps your hearing. Really important. A godly person will serve others because service is humility and humility opens your ears to hear what God has to say. My question is, are you humble enough to serve and to listen whoever God's messengers might be? Even if it's a stranger, like in this episode. Now, I think it's worth just reminding ourselves too that good hospitality is a symbol or a sign of faith. And it's a sign of of godliness, creating a welcoming environment at home or at church. You know, we had people here doing some extra cleaning. Why? Because we want to practice good hospitality next weekend for the convention. And that's an act of, of humility and it's good stewardship of God's resources. We want to be people who give more than we take, contribute more than we consume. Well, all that aside, this episode is actually about Sarah, this is really about Sarah because the messenger goes on to ask in verse 9 now they've had the meal they're settled in now it gets to the point verse 9 where is Sarah your wife kind of a surprising question because he knows exactly where she is later in the passage right he's he's going to hear her sort of private laughter they know that she's making the meal but he asks this question where's your wife Sarah they you know the the fact that they know her name and they know what she's been thinking, means they're not asking the questions because they don't know the answers. God already knows the answer to every question He's going to ask you. The questions, like we've talked about before in the series, are self-diagnosing questions. They're questions about asking yourself. Introspection, figuring it out, examining, self-examination. Where are you at today? Right? For example, are you, are you, like Sarah, holding back from trusting God because, because of, of what's happening? Are you, you know, are you hiding behind your frustration with God? Maybe you're really frustrated with God because something hasn't come through for you. Maybe you're even angry with God. Where are you at this morning? Maybe you escape into, into a hobby or a habit because you don't want to face up to your current life situation or frustrations. Where are you at? Abrams, where's your wife Sarah? And Sarah, of course, had good reason to disbelieve the promise. She was way past the age for having babies. It was done. That factory was closed. Right? And so her doubt is completely understandable from a human perspective. So the challenge now would be, could she believe? Could she believe? If you're taking notes, you want to write this one down. Doubt is easy. Belief is a decision. Doubt is easy. Belief is a decision. I want to show you three pictures here. In uh, 2005, I made a trip. um, Let's go to that first one there, Stuart. To this little village. This is up in the mountains in the Philippines. uh, A little place called Batad. And a missionary friend of mine went in there and. I think 1957 and made a commitment. These people were just one generation out of head hunting. There were an animistic people and they, he went in and translated the new Testament for them. Began by learning the language, developed an alphabet, developed a written form of the language, developed a dictionary. And then you can start developing a Bible translation. And in the course of um, 20 years, completed that Bible translation. And then from that point on for the next 10, 15 years, like a, dramatic number of people came, some 20 plus thousand people came to Christ because of that man's faithfulness. But he was in this very, very remote place. It was a little hard for us to get to. So we visited there in 2005. But before we went in, we had um, visited. uh, Well, let me show you one more picture. In 2006, I went back with my family. Let's go to this one. That's me and my sons. Um, They don't stay so cuddly and cute always. But anyway, you can go to the next one, Sir. So, the following year, uh, we went back as a family, and uh, and that was that. But before we went in in 2005, one of the members of our team that was going from our church up there said to Len, the missionary, he said, Hey, I I read on on the internet that there's electricity now in Batad, in that town. He goes, No, that's impossible. No, no, I read about it, and there was a picture of a power line going into that village. No, that's impossible. But I have a picture of it. No, there's no way they could ever get electricity into that village. It's too remote. It can't happen. But we have people saying there's electricity. No, that's impossible. And so we finally just had to accept that Len was not going to change his mind. He was in his 80s at that point, as stubborn as all could be. And uh, wouldn't you know, do you see something on the top of that picture? What do you see? Power lines. Power lines. You know, belief is a decision. Doubt is easy. Doubt is an easy thing to do. No, that could never happen. That's impossible. I don't believe it. And, and Abraham himself had just kind of gotten to that place of faith because you see in verse in, in chapter 17, verses 17 and 18, he's told about the promise and he says, yes, I think Ishmael should be the one to receive the blessing and have all the offspring. Still looking for a human solution to God's promise. And, and, and I think maybe God let this train run far enough down the track that the only way to get the promise was going to be a miracle. That there's no denying that the only way that this was going to be have to be a miracle. And I would say this, as long as we are alive, as long as we're breathing, God can still do a work in our lives. As long as you're alive, God can still do a work in your life. But notice, I just want you to know, as you see even verse 12 and so on, how convinced she is about her impossible condition, right? She calls herself worn out and old. And and she kind of references her master is not really able to, you know, provide the child either. He's old as well. And, and it's hopeless. And I would just say this, but when we focus, see, when we focus on our limitations, all the things we can't do, we're likely to overlook God's, can I call them unlimitations? God's unlimited ability. When I focus on my limitations, I ignore or I overlook God's unlimited ability. It's kind of two sides maybe of the same coin. Right on one side, we can be so proud that we say, I don't need God to do this. I can do this myself. I'll figure it out. The other side of the coin, you know, that's, that's you know, uh, that's how you got Ishmael, Abraham's Wild child, son. The other side of the coin is to focus so much on our weaknesses to say, this could never happen. I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever enough. Which is still denying God. So one side so proud, this continuum. On this side, I'm so proud I don't need God. This side, I'm so focused on my weaknesses that God can't do it. Both are rejecting what God wants to do both are an i sort of like an elevating of self and a rejection of god that's what abraham and sarah had done from let's fulfill this promise ourselves to i'm too old for this ever to work doubt is easy unbelief is easy belief trust is a supernatural Decision, And I would just ask you, are you choosing to trust God in your situation today? Now that I will say this. It means letting go of your idea of how this is going to turn out. It means letting go of your preferred solution. Because in the end, Sarah and Abraham learned that trusting in God is worth it. Because this is the third one. If you're taking notes, God makes the impossible Possible. God makes the impossible possible. Now, this is a very exposing question, right? When he says, why did Sarah laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Right? There's no getting away with it. Why did she? Why did she laugh? Doubt? Maybe? Unbelief? I, I mean, just the absurdity of this, of the promise. The impossibility of it all the hopelessness, the disappointments, the years of waiting and 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 And seeing everyone else have kids and everyone else succeeds and, and even your servant, she got pregnant, she's got a baby. Have you ever laughed at the things that God may have spoken to you? Do you laugh that, you know, maybe you you feel like the Lord said that your your kids are going to come to Christ at some point, but you kind of laughed at that notion. Or In your mind, you know that you could overcome that addiction or habit, but it just seems impossible, and so you just kind of laugh at that. Maybe you'll feel hopeless about being able to provide for your family, and you know that God's promised that to you, but you just kind of laugh at that. Maybe God's... Given you this promise that you and your spouse could actually get along and have a great marriage, but it just hasn't worked out, and you sort of laugh at that. Maybe you, in your mind, you know that your life counts for something; it matters, but you feel hopeless, and so you sort of laugh and say, ah, "I'm hopeless. Nothing matters." Have you laughed at the things that God speaks to you, whether to your heart, whether in Scripture? Maybe here at even at church, maybe God's prompting you to lead a connection group or or be an Awana shepherd or or be an usher or or some other area where you're helping others. And, and you laugh because you just don't think it's possible for you to do. I I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Sarah laughed because she could not fathom that the impossible was possible. That's why we call it Impossible. I wonder what might be your kind of sticking point with God today. What, what makes you want to laugh in disbelief? Is it something around the relationships you have or don't have in your life? Is it something around your finances? <laughs> well, that'll never go well. Right? Is, it, is it something about your addictions? Is it, is it your, your education? You just feel like, man, I'll, I'll never get where I need wanted to get to. Because the messenger then has the best rhetorical question you're ever going to hear or read. And it's this, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know the answer, right? Nothing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So when you feel like you want to trust God, but the results are not coming through, how do you hang on? How do you have hope in the midst of, yeah, but God, you said, or yeah, but I was praying for this and it didn't happen. God, how do I, how do you hang on in the midst of that? Well, I want to suggest three things as we head toward the end here. Three, three ways that maybe we can um have the faith to face the impossible. The first one be to look for key moments of God's guidance. Look for key moments of God's guidance. You know, those times you can say, I know God spoke at this point. Or um, maybe even times when you really sense a confirmation of the Spirit, you can look back on that and keep refreshing that. It's a good reason to keep a journal on things. This morning, for Moises, who, who shared his testimony about getting baptized today, you know, before the service, we were praying for him that, that God would use today as one of those kind of milestone markers, those stake-in-the-ground moments for Him that he would always look back and say, yes, I know I trust Jesus. I gave a testimony about that. I would say look for those key moments in your life of God's guidance, the way that God provided or the way God protected or the way God led in some way. Second one you can do is this. Figure out God's part versus your part in it. Okay? We're talking about three ways to have faith in the face of the impossible. Figure out God's part and your part. God's part and your part. You know, we, for for example, you know, the Apostle Paul says later, one plants, another waters, but God makes the thing grow. Right? You put the seed in the ground and tend to it, but really it's God that makes it grow. So you've got to figure out what's my part, What's God's part? Sarah did give birth to Isaac. It was a great name. His name means laughter. So he got this great little tie-in through his, his life. But, you know, it was not an immaculate conception. Right? Abraham and Sarah did their part to get pregnant. Right? And that's, uh, you know, got to be one of God's better assignments. You two. Go make babies. Right? And then they had to raise him. And, and parent him like any other parents would parent. But they had to know, okay, what's my part and what's God's part? And as you're looking at your impossible situation, say, okay, what's my role in this? And what's God's role in this? Because I'll do what I can do. I'm going to stop trying to do what God's going to do, what God can only do. And I'm going to do what I'm called to do and what my role is in this. And the third suggestion would be this, that to admit that your limitations are not God's limitations. Your limitations are not God's limitations. Right? Well I don't have an education. Hey, I you know there's a there's a fabulous church in our nation called Willow Creek. It's been one of the leading churches in our nation for the last forty years. That pastor, Bill Hybels, uh did not go to Bible college or seminary. He was a business guy, raised to to run the family business, and he left that to follow Jesus and planted one of the greatest churches that our nation has seen in the last 40 years. Your limitations are not God's limitations. So, stop saying, I'm not whatever enough. And say, you know, I think God could do something crazy. Maybe even through me. Maybe I'm not too old. Maybe I'm not too young. Maybe I'm not so bad after all. Because with God, the impossible is still possible. But we have to stop telling God how to do His job. Or stop telling Him what the outcome should be. Or stop expecting things to progress on our timeline or in our preferred way. We're going to get there. You're going to get there. A few things. If you're humble. Because humility helps your hearing. Right? If you'll trust. Because doubt is easy, but... Faith is a decision. Belief is a decision. And then you boost your faith when you remember that God makes the impossible possible. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that you were patient with Abram and Sarah. You didn't toss them out and decide to do this with someone else, in spite of their struggle to believe, their struggle to trust you. You continued with them. Lord, I feel like you do that with all of us so many times. We like have all these false starts and you keep nurturing us and drawing us to yourself. I thank you for that. Lord, I just pray for any person today right now in this room who feels like they are in an impossible situation. Whether it's finances or health or addictions or relationships or, or, or Education or whatever their impossible moment is right now, God, would you speak to them and remind them that nothing is too hard for you? Lord, help us grab hold of that. Help us to to take the hard path of trusting you. In church, as you, if if you're somebody today who just you're thinking, but my situation's different. This is this is harder than anything. This is more impossible. This is impossibler. I just want to remind you that God makes the, poss- the impossible possible. That nothing is too hard for the Lord. And I would just invite you in your own way today to just bring that to Him. Just lay that out before Him. You might even, even this today or this week, just in a physical way, just lay your hands out before Him. Say, God, will you just take it? Or maybe you'll write it down on a piece of paper and just hold it before the Lord and say, Lord, will you take this impossible situation? Because God wants to meet you in that place of impossibility. Let's be humble enough to hear what the Lord would have to say. God, we love you. We think that you care for us. We give you our praise today and we give you our lives because we're going to learn to trust you no matter what. Thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.